Last night I wondered whether we would have electricity this morning, and it's, it's good to see that we do. Uh, let's hope that uh, that continues through the rest of this morning. Um, we, are, we are looking at Romans 7 today, Romans uh, 7, uh, the, the second half of the chapter. And um, before we dive into the text, I just I want to share a secret with you. And so don't um, drift off at this point. You can drift off later, but you, you, you're going to want to hear this. So here's the secret. I struggle with sin. I'm going to get to that. I struggle with sin. I, I've been a Christian for nearly 25 years. I'm a pastor. I counsel people who struggle with sin, and yet I still struggle with with sin. And now, um, some of you, especially those of you who might be visiting for the first time, you're starting to get a little uncomfortable. You're wondering where this is going. Is this some kind of like tell-all sermon? No, it's not that. Others of you are sitting there thinking, Ryan, just like Elise said, Ryan, that's not a secret. We already knew that. I grant you that. I grant you that point. But here's another secret. I'm not the only one. Every Christian here today struggles with sin. Every Christian struggles with sin, continues to struggle with sin. Uh, Big sins, little sins, daily sins, occasional sins. It's just, it's a part of our lives and we can't escape it. And um, it's discouraging, isn't it? You know, this this ongoing struggle with sin, um, you know, especially if you've been a Christian for some length of time and you probably think to yourself, you know, I've been at this a while. I really shouldn't be um, still struggling with these things. And and yet you do. Um, it, it's so frustrating. We sin as Christians. We don't want to. We want to please God. And, and yet we struggle. And And, you know, maybe you probably feel like I do. You're tired of it. <laughs> You know, I just want to be done with this whole sinning thing. And, you know, maybe for some of you, you wonder, am I really a Christian if I struggle like this? Um, Do Christians really continue to struggle with these kinds of things? You know, maybe something went wrong at the Salvation Factory and the version I got was missing the whole, like, doesn't sin anymore feature. What's, What's wrong? Why do I keep struggling? Maybe it's my faith. Maybe it's defective. Well, here's the thing. Struggling with sin is the normal Christian experience. Struggling with sin is the normal Christian experience. Um, All Christians struggle with sin, and the Bible tells us we should expect that. The Bible tells us that it's going to be this way. You see, if you're a Christian here today, you are a new person in Christ, but you haven't yet been perfected in Christ. You're new, but not yet perfected, and that means There's a struggle. There's going to be a struggle. There is a struggle. Now, Christians have found a lot of comfort in the passage we're looking at today, Romans 7. Romans 7 is about an intense um, struggle with sin. And Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this, I mean, he he says some things. You might, we're going to read it in a moment. You might think, I can't believe that's in the Bible. I mean, he talks about having good desires, good intentions, wants to please God, wants to obey God's law, and yet sin gets the better of him. Um, You know, he's so frustrated in this passage, and and he cries out, you know, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? 
And, and, and that resonates with us, with many of us. We're like, yes, yes, that's exactly how I feel. And, and then we think, well, if Paul struggled like that, if, if the great apostle Paul continued to struggle with sin as a Christian, well, then of course, I'm going to continue struggling with sin as a Christian. Um, that's great. It, 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 my struggle doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. Whew. I can relax. But here's a question we need to ask. Is that really what Romans 7 is about? Is Romans 7 really about a Christian's ongoing struggle with sin? I I mentioned last week there is so much debate about this passage. Um, You know, so many questions about what exactly Paul is getting at here. Is he talking about himself and his present struggle with sin as a Christian? Or is he describing, you know, his life before Christ? Um, there's even a question, is Paul talking about himself? Maybe he's just portraying someone else's experience. And, you know, the debate over this, this passage, it can get pretty technical. It can, you know, the, the theology nerds can get down into the weeds of, of the debate. But it really boils down to two options, two ways to understand Romans 7. Uh, on the one hand, uh, Romans 7 is about the Christian and a Christian's continuing struggle with sin. That's, that's one way to understand Romans 7. Another way to understand Romans 7 is that it's not about a Christian's struggle with sin. It's about a non-Christian's experience of sin, struggle with sin. And um, let me say, today's sermon's going to be a little different, okay? There's so many questions about this passage. It's confusing in, in many ways. And um, so I want to approach the sermon a little differently. Normally, Craig and I just, we walk through a passage, we, we preach and apply the message of that passage, we avoid all the, you know, little minutia of uh, interpretive debates, unless they're important. And guess what? Today's is important. Um, the way you read Romans 7, it shapes how you think about a number of things. The way you read Romans 7 shapes how you think about yourself as a Christian. The way you read Romans 7 shapes how you think about God, what you think about His Gospel and and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so today I want to help us, uh, or try to help us, read and understand um, Romans 7 well. And so let me just up front tell you what I think Romans 7 is about, okay? And, and, you know, I've been exploring this chapter for several months now, knowing that eventually I'm going to have to preach on it. I've been studying it more, more directly the last few weeks, uh, trying to wrap my head around it. And, and here's the answer that I've arrived at. Romans 7 is not about a Christian struggle with sin. Romans 7 is not about a Christian's struggle with sin. Now, Christians struggle with sin, okay? Make sure you hear me say that. I'm not denying that. There's no question about that. Christians struggle with sin. But that's not what Romans 7 is about. And, and I should add a caveat here. This isn't the only way to understand Romans 7. Uh, good, thoughtful, intelligent Christians land on different sides of this issue. Um, each side has really strong arguments. You can hear someone talk about one side and you're like, yeah, that's it, definitely. You hear the other view and you think, wow, they, they had it. I, I'm with them now. And um, you know, both sides have strong arguments, but this is how I see it. Romans 7 is not about a Christian's struggle with sin. 
Now, this is not a gospel issue, okay? This isn't like the heart of the gospel or the deity of Jesus Christ. You don't have to agree with my conclusion about Romans 7, okay? I'm going to do my best to persuade you of my, my position, but you don't have to agree with me. But it's good for us to wrestle through these things. And so my task today is to show why Romans 7 is not about a Christian's struggle with sin. So let me read our passage for us, pray, and then we'll dive in. So Romans 7, I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 13. I'll read through the end of the chapter. And Paul has just talked about um, sin and the law conspiring together to put him to death. And he says in verse 13, did that which is good, the Mosaic law, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through that through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we come before Your Word this morning and we recognize that not everything is as clear as we would like it to be, but we pray that You would give us understanding. We ask that You would help us to get our our minds and our hearts around uh, Paul's message here in Romans. We pray that you would help us to see the, the glorious good news of your gospel, even as we look at this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so everything's clear about that passage that I just read, right? I mean, I read through that and you're like, got it, check, let's move on. No, it, it, it can be confusing, but, but let me give you, let me tell you why. Romans 7 is not about a Christian's struggle with sin. Three reasons why Romans 7 is not about your struggle with sin as a Christian. And, and first reason, first reason, context, context, context. You know, uh, the, one of the basic principles of reading the Bible well, and we're going to talk about this in our Discipleship Hour class, pay attention to the context, right? 
when you start reading a novel, you don't just jump into the middle of the novel, right? Why not? Because it's not going to make any sense. The story only makes sense. The words, the paragraphs, the chapters only make sense in light of what came before and what comes after. And it's no different with the Bible. You can't read uh, Romans 7 well if you ignore the context. And, you know, what we do when we come to the Bible often is we tend to read a, a verse or a chapter in isolation and, and then we just kind of, you know, read it in isolation and then we give it a meaning that really doesn't even make any sense in the context. And, and we read Romans 7 and we're like, oh, that, that frustration that Paul's talking about, I, I want to do the right, but I do the wrong. Oh, I get that. That's me. That's, that's my struggle. He must be talking about um, a Christian struggling with sin. But there's a context to Romans 7. There's an argument Paul's been developing um, for, for a few chapters. And so just stay with me for a moment, okay? We're, we're, doing, we're putting on our Bible study hats. We're talking about context. Just stay with me for a moment. What has Paul been talking about in Romans? What, it, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about contrasts. Contrasts. He, he, he's contrasting life outside Christ and life with life in Christ, your, your life, you know, before Christ, your life in Christ now. And, and he does this throughout chapters five through eight. We're almost through the end of that section, but he does this all over the place. You know, you know, he does this in all of his letters. He paints this before picture of who you were outside of Christ, and then he paints this picture of who you are now in Christ. And three key contrasts in Romans. Life in Adam versus life in Christ. Life under law versus life under grace. And the third contrast, life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Chapters 7 and 8, they are a contrast. They go together. They're a a contrast. Chapter 7, life under law in the flesh. Chapter 8, life under grace in the spirit contrast before Christ after Christ now how do you know that's what Paul's saying I mean I'm just saying that's what he's saying how do you how do we know he gives a little two-point outline he gives a little two-point outline he tells us this is what I'm about to talk about look at um, chapter 7 verses 5 and 6 chapter 7 verses 5 and 6 a little two-point outline for the rest of chapter 7 and 8 verse 5 the old life under law, characterized by sin, slavery to sin, spiritual death. Um, that's a summary of the rest of chapter 7. Those key words, law, sin, death. I mean, if you read through Romans 7, you're going to be like, Paul, you need to break out your thesaurus. He just keeps saying, law, sin, death, law, sin, death. That's chapter 7, life under law. Second point of his outline, chapter 7, verse 6. New life in the Spirit. New life in the Spirit. He he says, now, now that you have died to the law, to that which held you captive, you serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. And and that's his summary of chapter 8. And that that key word, Spirit, or or Holy Spirit. Um, Do you know how many times Paul talks about the the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life in chapter 7, verse 7 through the end of the chapter. Do you know how many times? Zero. Zero times. 
Do you know how many times he talks about it in chapter 8? 21 times. The frustrated, defeated I in chapter 7. He's a person outside of Christ. He's a person who only has his fallen, corrupt resources to draw upon. He doesn't have the the life-giving, sin-breaking power of the Holy Spirit in his life because he is outside of Christ. And and yet, Paul will say to the Christians in chapter 8, the Spirit of Christ, God's own Spirit, dwells in you true of of every Christian, but but doesn't seem to be the case with this person speaking in chapter 7. He doesn't have the Spirit dwelling in him. All he can say is, sin dwells in me. He says it twice, verses 17 and 20. So I know that was, you know, Bible study mode, but how do we know that Romans 7 is not about a Christian struggle with sin? Context context. Paul didn't just drop this chapter out of thin air. There's, there's, there's an argument around it, and uh, we need to pay attention to context. Let the author tell us what he is saying, rather than us dictating to the author what he must be saying. And so Paul tells us, Romans 7 is about life under law, enslaved to sin. So that's reason number one, and it, and it leads directly into reason number two. You, as a Christian, are no longer a slave of sin. You, as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, a person in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. Right? Isn't that what Paul's been telling us? Especially chapter 6, if you're a follower of Christ, if, you're, if you've put your faith in Him, Jesus has set you free from sin's enslaving power. And and Paul says this over and over and over again. In particular, chapter 6, it's like, you know, Paul sees somebody sleeping in the back of the room and he's just going to keep repeating himself until that person wakes up and gets the point. Christian, you are not a slave to sin. Um, Chapter 6, verse 14, sin won't have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Uh, Verse 17, you were once slaves of sin but not any longer. Verse 18, you have been set free from sin. Verse 20, you were slaves of sin. That's past tense, old life, not any longer. Now, does that mean Christians are unable to sin? No, not at all. We, we know that's not the case. Um, Paul also says there in chapter 6, because you are not a slave to sin any longer, don't keep serving sin, which implies it's possible. And I would say it's more than possible. It is guaranteed. That's why we confessed our sins this morning and heard God's gracious pardon. What it means is that sin is no longer your master. Okay, You are not, as a Christian person indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are not obligated to do sin's bidding. You know, you ever have a little uh, a kid say to you, you tell them to do something, and, and they say to you, you're not the boss of me. Well, <laughs> it's rude for a, a child to say that to an adult. It's entirely fitting for a Christian to say to sin, you are not the boss of me. I don't have to do what you say any longer because we are no longer slaves to sin. But that's precisely not the case with the person in Romans 7. Look at 
verse 14. Romans 7, verse 14. Listen to what this person says about himself. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, meaning it's, it's divine in origin. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Sold under sin. Sold into bondage to sin. That is slave language. And, and you know the passage. He, he goes on to talk about this frustration he has, um, this mismatch between good desires um, to do what is right, to obey the Mosaic law, but he, but he fails. His life is characterized by law-breaking. And then toward the end of the passage, verse 23, if you want to look down at verse 23, he says, I'm a captive to sin. He says, I see in my members, that is my body, another law or principle waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he repeats it in verse 25. I serve the law of sin. uh, Sin is my slave master and I am its powerless slave. He's a slave to sin. But that's the very thing, the very language Paul uses and says, Christian, you are not a slave to sin. And so if if Paul's talking about a Christian here in Romans 7, um, he's contradicting everything he said in chapter 6. Everything he said about what it means to be united to Jesus Christ, united in his, to his death and resurrection, set free from the enslaving power of sin. If, if Paul is saying in Romans 7, well, Christian, you're actually a slave to sin. I was just going into preacher mode in chapter 6 and just kind of you know, exaggerating and, and just kind of going over the top, but the reality is you're still a slave. He'd be contradicting himself. You're either one or both, right? You're either a slave to sin or not a slave to sin. It's a theological impossibility to be both. And, and let me put it this way. Maybe this will help you understand. You're either a Padres fan or a Dodgers fan. Okay? You can't be both. You have to choose whom you're going to serve. Okay? Um, you can't be both. I don't know which one of those is, is sin and, and slavery to sin. I'm sure you all have an opinion. Okay, we might be saying, okay, okay, Paul says, you know, Christians aren't slaves to sin. This, this person in Romans 7, um, you know, is talking like that. But, but if he's not a Christian, if this person in Romans 7 is not a Christian, I mean, how can he say things like, I want to do what is right? How can he say, I want to obey God's law? How can he say, you know, I'm just, um, I want to obey and I, and I mess up and I'm so bothered by it. I'm bothered by my sin. You know, this, this intense personal concern over sin, that just doesn't sound like an unbeliever, does it? It doesn't sound like somebody who's outside of Christ. It, it sounds like somebody with a, a renewed conscience, somebody who's been made alive in Jesus Christ and wants to please God. I mean, would, it, would an unbeliever really say these kinds of things. You know, sometimes as church people, I think we, we stereotype non-Christians. You know, we, we just kind of act like, 
Um, everyone outside of Christ is all the same. You know, everyone outside of Christ just lives these, these wild, rebellious, immoral lives. They, they, none of them care about what is right. None of them care about morality. You know, they all self-consciously hate God and want nothing to do with Him. But it's a stereotype, isn't it? I mean, not every Christian in this room lived that way before they became a Christian. Um, you know, some of you tried to be good moral people. Some of you tried to be good neighbors, good citizens. You've got millions of people devoted to other religions, non-Christian religions, or even different um, forms of spirituality, you know, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and many of them try to do good for the world. Um, maybe they even admire Jesus. They, they might even think that, you know, Jesus' teaching is right and good and the world would be a better place if people just followed Jesus' teaching. Many pious Jews, in non-Christian Jews in Paul's world, loved God's law, loved Torah. I mean, Paul, they tried to comply with Torah. Paul talked about them back in chapter 2. Do you remember when Paul speaks to you who judge? And he, he talks about these, these Jewish hearers who, who, he says, you boast in the law. You love the law. You're just like, Moses is great. We love Moses. We love the law. And then Paul says, but you break the law. You boast in it, but you break it. In chapter 10, he says, of his own Jewish uh, countrymen. They have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for the law. And Paul doesn't question it and say it's all fake. He, he sees it as real. Paul himself was one of those people, wasn't he? Before he became a Christian. Paul was a zealous Pharisee, a, a devotee of uh, to the Mosaic law. He was somebody who was passionate about God's law, sought to comply with God's law. I mean, Paul himself, when he was Saul, the persecutor, he would have said, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I mean, you, he would have had no problem saying that. That's the kind of person Paul's portraying here in Romans 7. He's, he's, Paul is speaking in character. And he's speaking as a, a pious Jewish non-Christian, a follower of the Mosaic Law, someone who tries to conform his life to it, but can't because he's enslaved to sin. And this, this person who, who wants to obey God, but, but can't because they're locked into sin, they're, they're frustrated. And that frustration comes through, doesn't it, very clearly in the passage, even to the point of despair, verse 25, you know, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me? And, it, and it's like Paul can't take it anymore. And, and just for a moment, he breaks character and he has to step in and say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he jumps back into character. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God with um, another part of me. I break it. Um, the speaker in Romans 7 is a, a religious person, but he's a slave to sin. He hasn't been set free from sin by Christ, but you have, if you're a Christian person, Christian man, Christian woman, you have been set free in Christ from sin's enslaving power. So why isn't Romans 7 about a Christian struggle with sin? I mean, the first reason is the context. 
Paul tells us what he's talking about here, life under law in contrast to life under the Spirit or in the Spirit. Second reason it's not about a Christian struggle with sin, because you are no longer a slave to sin as a Christian, but the person in Romans 7 is. Third reason. Third reason Romans 7 isn't about a Christian struggle with sin. And here it is. Your struggle as a Christian doesn't end in total defeat. Your struggle with sin as a Christian does not end in total defeat. See, I've been describing the situation here in Romans 7 as a struggle, a a struggle with sin. It's really common for us to read Romans 7 that way. Oh, okay, I know what that's like. Um, But struggle, the word struggle, it's not really accurate. You know, struggle implies some kind of, you know, back and forth. There's a a drawn out um, conflict. Uh, Do you ever watch nature shows? You know, when I was a kid, my dad would watch nature shows and I thought they were really boring. And now I'm in my 40s and I find myself watching them and kind of enjoying them. And, you know, in these nature shows, you've got two giant 900 pound grizzly bears um, locked in conflict, and they're they're clawing each other and biting each other and wrestling with each other, and it's this this brutal wrestling match. And and often it seems like they both just get so tired that they kind of call it and and move on and just go away. Um, that's a struggle, okay? Neither one dominating the other. That's a struggle. That's not Romans seven. Romans 7 is about total defeat. I mean, Romans 7 is grizzly bear versus pet hamster, okay? That, that, that's the picture in Romans 7. The, the speaker in Romans 7 never actually obeys God's law. He only sins. Look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Or again in verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. (laughs) It's what I practice. I want to do the good, but what I practice, what characterizes my life, is the very things that the law says I ought not to be doing. And we read that as Christian people and we're like, oh yeah, he's a Christian and he's saying, you know, I just don't obey God's law perfectly. You know, I really want to, but I don't. I I, I fail. You know, sometimes my obedience is half-hearted. But that's not what the text says. He doesn't obey. He's got all these great desires, no follow-through. In fact, he says there in verse 19, his life is one of practicing evil despite his good intentions. Uh, Verse 18, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. No ability, he says. This is, I, I, I know God's commands, but I cannot do them. Friends, that's not true of a Christian. This is not the way a Christian should talk about himself or or herself. Um, Christians, people who have been made new in Christ by the Holy Spirit, have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. God's law has been written on our hearts. We are united to Christ. Um, We can obey God as Christian people. 
Not perfectly, not by any stretch of the imagination, not, not as well as we would like to, of, of course not, but we can obey God. That's part of the reason Paul tells us to obey God. The speaker here cannot obey God. That's part of his frustration. He wants to, but cannot. This is total inability, okay? This isn't, you know, I'm doing my best to please the Lord. I still need to grow some more in Christ. This is complete failure, falling face down uh, and total defeat by sin. A Christian's struggle with sin looks different. A Christian's struggle with sin does not look like Romans 7. I I know we might think it does. We might feel like it does. But a Christian's struggle involves actual struggle, not total defeat. Um, There are setbacks, but there are also victories. And, And the trajectory for our lives as Christians, the trajectory is one of increasing victory over sin. Um, because God's Spirit dwells in us, we're learning to say no to sin and yes to obedience. And that's the trajectory of someone in Christ. Uh, that's what God is, is doing in you. That is what the Holy Spirit is, is producing in you. Now, it might not feel that way, and it often does not, right? You're probably more conscious of failures than progress, but, but you are not, as a Christian person in Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are not completely powerless against sin. You know, Galatians 5, we, we read it earlier, Bruce read it for us. Galatians 5 describes a Christian's struggle with sin. Um, Galatians 5 is realistic. You know, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the old life are at war with the desires of the spirit, the desires of the, the new life. There's this conflict. Um, you know, again, you're new in Christ, but not yet perfected. So there's a struggle. Galatians 5, totally realistic, but it's also hopeful. It's also hopeful. Galatians 5.16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Did you hear that? Walk by the Spirit, live and in, in, keep in step with the Spirit, he'll say later. Walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the trajectory. That's the, a trajectory towards holiness and, and Christ-likeness. Um, there will be a struggle, but there's also progress. There's growth. There's change over time. Sometimes very dramatic change. And maybe you experience this. You come to... Uh, faith in Christ, and all of a sudden some of those besetting sins, some of those things that characterized you um, outside of Christ, they're just gone. And it's like you're growing by leaps and bounds in Christ. And then other times, it's just slow, steady growth in in godliness. Last fall, um, I tore out the grass in my front yard, got rid of all the the grass, and I I re-landscaped the whole thing. And um, it, it wasn't a very big yard, so it wasn't that much work. But um, I planted a bunch of uh, plants that are native to this part of San Diego County, and they, they do well in this climate and with the kind of rains we get, although this storm is probably messing everything up. But, um, you know, I put in these plants last fall, and I was really excited. And, and every day I'd go out to the garden and look to see how are things going? You know, are the plants doing well? Are they growing? And, you know, at first I was really disappointed because it didn't look like anything at all was happening. And 
um, you know, it didn't seem like there was any growth. And then I, re- I remembered the things that I had read as I was planning out this garden, that when the fall rains come, when the, the winter rains come, these plants start building out their root system. And there's all kinds of stuff, all kinds of growth going on underground. You can't see it at the surface. And, and sure enough, this spring, the, my garden just exploded with life and color. I mean, it was amazing. I didn't, I didn't expect these plants, many of them, to flower in their first season. And I, I, can, I compare pictures from last fall to what the garden looks like now, and it's, it's night and day. So much growth, so much life, but it did not look like, it didn't feel like that, didn't seem like that in the day today. And friends, that's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. There, there's so much going on behind the scenes, so much we don't even uh, pick up on, so much that God is doing in us, growing us. We're, we're so close to the struggle, we can't see the progress. But, but friends, God is a faithful gardener. God tends to his garden. He, he waters it. He feeds it. He does some pruning when necessary. He, he pulls up the weeds. And, and one day that garden, that garden is you in Christ. One day that garden is going to be glorious. It is going to be beautiful beyond imagination. You will be radiant in Christ-like holiness. And God is already bringing that about in your life today. And so look, Christian, Romans 7 is not about your struggle with sin. Okay? Yes, we struggle with sin as Christians, but that is not what Romans 7 is about. The the arc of your story is not total defeat. The the trajectory of your story is not a, a bonfire of just failure and destruction. Um, you know, sometimes not everyone who, who who thinks Romans seven is talking about a Christian comes to this conclusion. But sometimes, you know, taking Romans seven as depicting a Christian can can lead to what uh, Michael Bird calls it worm theology. Worm theology. You know, I'm just this uh, filthy, dirty, disgusting, sinful worm writhing in the muck and mire of slavery to sin. That's just the way it is. Paul says, no, that's not you. That's not you in Christ. Um, it might feel like it at times, but Paul keeps telling us in Romans, and even in Romans 7, that's not you. That's the old life. And, and still, you know, we have a hard time believing him. Even though Paul drops all these hints and clues and signals, uh, we have a hard time believing what Paul says about us in Christ. Um, about two years ago, I, I started wearing glasses, and I, I need them for distance, not not up close. And and what started to happen is um, over a period of a couple of years, I noticed it's getting harder and harder to see, um, for example, street signs while I'm driving, and that, that's not good. Um, it was getting difficult. You know, I'd go into a restaurant, walk up to the counter, and they've got the menu on the on the wall behind the counter, and I can't even read it. <laughs> and I think one time I was out with Craig, and I was like, Craig, can you tell me what it says up there so I can I can place my order? It got really bad. About two years ago, finally went to the eye doctor, got some glasses. The eye doctor says, you know, uh, there's nothing to be concerned about here, but, you know, at your age, this starts to happen. Okay. Um. I got the glasses, and it was amazing. 
that, you know, I, I put the glasses on and it's like, I can read. I can see the signs. I can see people's faces. You see, right now I can see your faces. Two years ago, it was just like a bunch of fuzzy blobs. I couldn't, I couldn't make it out. Um, so I got these glasses and, and everything is so crisp or clear and clear. And then, and then about two months ago, I got prescription sunglasses and it was like, how in the world have I not been, how, how have I not had these things the past two years? How did I live without them? I can go outside in the sunlight and I can see. <laughs> this is amazing. And Paul's saying here in Romans, I want you to put on these gospel glasses. I, I want you to see yourself. I want you to see God. I, I want you to see everything through this new reality called who you are in Christ, your identity in Christ. You are not a wretched, miserable, no good, nothing worm. Not in Christ. Not in Christ. And so here's a question. Are you a sinner who's forgiven or a saint who sins? And, and I don't want to press the distinction too far. You know, normally when people try to press distinctions like that, you, you end up saying something that's not true. There's a sense in which both of those are true. Uh, you're a sinner who's forgiven. You're a saint who sins. But, but how does the Bible usually typically talk about Christians? Does, you know, is the Bible like, you know, you Christian people here gathered on Sunday for worship, you, you are dirty, disgusting, miserable people. Thank God. He spilled a little bit of mercy your way and you happen to stumble into it? No. You know, Paul writes to even the church in Corinth, the messed up church, and he he calls them saints. Saints. Uh, Yes, we still sin, but we are not defined by the old life in sin. That is not the most important thing about us any longer as Christians. That is not the most relevant thing about us any longer as Christians. You are, if you're in Christ, you are not that person today. You're never going to be that person again. That person is dead, crucified, buried with Christ. You are in Christ now. You are an in Christ person. And Paul's telling us this in Romans. You're, you're a God's adopted children. You are God's beloved. You are Jesus' siblings. You are heirs with Christ. You belong to Christ. You, don't, you serve Christ, not sin. You, you are loved and kept by God's unfailing love. That's coming, Romans chapter 8. Um, Paul's just saying this again and again and again. And he's going to say it again in in chapter 8. We haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That doesn't sound like a groveling worm to me. That sounds like a beloved child. Somebody who's been redeemed and rescued and restored by grace. That's a saint in Christ. Romans 7 is not you if you are in Christ. That's the old you. That is not who you are today. Uh, I'll close with this. Um, John Newton, who was a, a pastor and a hymn writer in the 18th century, he wrote Amazing Grace, a hymn I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Um, he has this little line that I think captures the, the message of Romans 7 and, and how we should think about Romans 7. And here's what Newton said. He said, 
I am not what I ought to be. He's speaking as a Christian here. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Friends, that is true of every one of us today who is a a Jesus follower. We we're not what we want to be. We wish we were so much further along in this thing called the Christian life. And, and we've got far to go. And we know that in the, in the age to come, in the, in the glorious resurrection, we're going to be much different than we are now. But we're not what we used to be. We're now new people in Christ, no longer slaves to sin, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, loved and kept by an amazing God. That is who we are. And so I, I want to pray now that, that God would help us to see ourselves rightly, help us to see ourselves in Christ, and that he would help us live into that new identity in Christ. Father in heaven, uh, it can be so hard for us to, to see ourselves as, as you see us in Christ. Would you help us, Lord, to see us see ourselves through those gospel glasses through the lens of your grace and what you have done for us in Jesus life death and resurrection what you are doing for us and to us and through us now by the power of your holy spirit and what you will accomplish for us in the end when we are raised to life with Christ in glorious splendor would you help us to live into that reality uh today in the here and now that we would start um continue living in this new world called your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.